Welcome to the Business Mentor Podcast. This podcast is where we share and discuss the experiences, ideas, and happenings in the world of business, featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction in your journey. Introducing your host, award-winning entrepreneur and Prince's Trust business mentor, Jay Dillon. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to meet you. Great to have you here. So, um... I meet Mark quite often actually in the corridors and we have a little chats about business and um, general things about you traveling and stuff. And I thought I really want to get him on the podcast. And we've launched a new series called Real Business Stories. And uh, the conversation we have um, is something I think the audience should, should listen to as well. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk about where you are currently. Then I want to go back, talk mm-hmm. about how it all started school, find out a bit more about you, and then we'll come back around circle. So where are you at with team-wise at the moment? Well, as, as of right now, we're, we're in a really exciting position. We're up to 13 members of staff in our office, which is uh, yeah, really exciting for just going into our fifth year. Yeah. And we've opened up brand new offices in, in Biarritz in the south of France and one in um, South Wales, which is where I'm from. So as of now, we are, we are a, a three office unit, which is really exciting. Nice. And how long has the company been going? We've just turned four officially with um, with three full sets of accounts. The fourth has just been uh, finalised now. But as nice. of 6th of November 2015, that's when we started the business, signed yeah. up the yeah. company's house, bought the bought the website. Bought the website, the domain. That's the, that's the birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good stuff. Um, so that's great where you are at the moment. And we're going to talk a bit more of that going forward. Um, tell me a bit about yourself then. So obviously you know, school and how it all started, you now being an entrepreneur. Take me right back to, did you, were you always an entrepreneur type kind of person? What did you do at school? Was there anything that you saw then? Um, well, a few friends of mine sort of tell the story a little bit better where yeah. back in the early days, probably 11, 12 or 13, there was the brand Macro had just started and, and a few of us would, would pool our pocket money together and go and buy sweets in bulk and, and tins, yeah. of, tins of pop and we'd always undercut the tuck shop. Oh wow! Yeah. And it, there was always a way that we we were exploring to try and make a few extra pounds every week in the in the pocket money. So I think it all started there of just trying to do things a little bit differently, give yeah. people more uh, more bang for their buck back in the day, and it also got us a few extra sweets as well. Yeah, so yeah. It just became kind of addictive from there. It's nice from an early age to have that feel of a little bit of extra money in your definitely in in, in your pocket. Because we you know, myself, my friend, we we came from. Um, you know, average working class backgrounds where nothing was really provided as such. And we, we had wonderful upbringings, great, great families. But if you wanted something, then you had to go and find it. You had yeah. to go and do something different and a very strong work ethic kicked yeah. in from a very early age where to do those nice things, then in the summer holidays, in the evenings, weekends, go and find something to do. Find what people want in the village that we, we grew up in find what they haven't got time to do and see if you can help them. Yeah. Uh, what, is it Wales? That's the original from? Where you... South Wales, a, a little tiny little village called Kaiwent, which at the time had 600 people. Wow. Now joined on to a neighbouring town. So I think the population has almost doubled. It's gone from one pub to two. <laughs> yeah. The post office is selling a few extra things there. But yeah. generally speaking, it's just a very small, quaint little little Welsh village. So quite knit, knit sort of family background. Yeah, very, very much. I, I grew up on a on a little street about two hundred meters from the, the village pub, which was the the leisure centre of our our community, yeah. opposite the post office. Three members of family in the in, in the street. Uh, my, my dad 
uh, was still is occasionally used a builder and okay. tended to do a lot of jobs for people in and around the the village. So that opened up a few odd jobs for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some someone would have some building work finished, and maybe the garden needed cutting or some rubbish needed taken away. And some really good business ethics were were started started from a very young age. You know, there is always money to be made, even oh. if it's in the smallest quantity. There's always an odd job, or there's always something there that you could turn your hand to just to give you an extra extra couple of pence in your back pocket, which in those days was generally for football cards yeah. or sweets or... Panini cards. Panini cards, yeah, 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 yeah. Well. anything. Or um, arcade games. But yeah, if you wanted those things and you had to go and find the find the cash to do it. Was it something your father you saw yourself, like, you know, obviously generating work? Was he doing that while you were younger? Is something you picked up at entrepreneur skills looking at that? Yeah, I, I can... Winter was always a really tricky time for our family. Dad being a self-employed builder, Generally, work would be really good in the in the summertime. Yeah, come post Christmas, January to February was always a always a always a struggle. Yeah, um, and Dad would always be you know, working standard six days six days a week, and on on Sunday helping others doing some on jobs. Yeah, and there. And mum was also very extremely hard working, running the family, working part time, ferrying us around everywhere. You know, a great a great family environment to grow up in with really good strong work ethics they're yeah. not just working really hard but also helping others within the community and yeah. that was something that i came to learn that from from my dad that they're keeping a really good reputation and doing doing a job thoroughly people would really appreciate that and yeah. and recommend you so even now he's still in his in his march towards the 70s which you yeah. probably won't like me saying he <laughs> um he's still getting tapped up by any chance you could do a wall any chance you could People think those sort of jobs take five, ten minutes or so, and um, yeah. he, he always tries and helps where he, where he can. Yeah, it's interesting because um, you know, I worked in entrepreneurs in the academy, and we mentioned about trends. And back in the day, obviously, my father, obviously, similar to, to the background to yours, just doing jobs, but they didn't know what trends were. So, that, you know, now with our businesses, we pick up trends with data. So we know it's going to be busy, and like in the recruitment industry, where I first got into business was so busy at the back end of the year, come January, February, it's like, what's happening now? It's never going to happen. So them days, it's tough for non-entrepreneurs because you don't pick up trends. Exactly. Um, so I always say to entrepreneurs now, data, data, KPIs, data, that will drive you for the next year and stop these panic moments of, all oh, the world's caving in. Um, so yeah, so from there, so did you go to college, university? What did you study? Uh, I, I made a, a, a really big mistake when I was 16 years old. I followed a trend and did what I thought I should be doing. And I stayed on, I stayed on in school. To do to do A levels, geography, sociology, and and economics. Yeah. The problem that I had was that I, I was at that point so thirsty for for earning that I was I was working twenty five thirty hours a week, age age sixteen, in a local Tesco warehouse. Yeah. Working for what's now the Marriott Corporation, running um, breakfast rotors in in a four star hotel, playing football in the afternoon. Going out in the evening, working and working a night shift. Uh, yeah. there, there didn't seem to be any boundaries there, and and I suppose um, we had a reasonably liberal upbringing, upbringing that that allowed that. And yeah. I think my parents could see that it was it was hard work. Probably shouldn't be doing it at that age. And then what tended to happen was at the end of the week you realised that you, things are good. Um, I I was saving to go on. Um, one, uh, two really, really big rugby tours with my school and latterly for my, for my, for my college. So all this yeah. work was actually, was all the cash was being put into savings pots to go and travel with 
my teammates right. playing play, playing rugby. It was in the March of uh, just after my seventeenth birthday, where I can re- remember it now, being called into the to the office with the, with the teacher saying, "School, this school really isn't for you, is it? Perhaps there are some some better options." Um, and she she was absolutely de- dead on with it. I then left school uh, a month later and enrolled in the following September um, on a brilliant course at a college that was 25 miles away, specialising in sports science in a town called Pontypool in the in the Welsh Valleys. I ended up joining the rugby team there, went on an, another rugby tour. So you can kind of get get the, get the theme here is that um, I, ma- I made a bad decision by following the following the herd and staying on at school, but I didn't enjoy the subjects. Uh, I'd outgrown the, the the area and found that when I went to this college in a, in a more dynamic environment and very challenging, you know, 25 miles each way, every day, five days of the week, but I had to travel to get to get to the the best the best location. Um, I met some very influential people there who are still great friends. So, do you think so? How old were you then? I left college at. I was 19, so I'd finished uh, my BTEC and, and carried on doing A-levels a year later than most people having had the, the year out of, right, okay. of, of school um, and opted to uh, not bother with, with university. Uh, I figured that it was, it was good. I, I was in, earning reasonably well. I was working yeah. 40 hours a week at this point, even though I was at college for, for, the, for the Marriott chain. We had a very nice, um, very nice team there. It was all yeah. weekends work. Yeah big conferences and I was really upskilling at that point learning how to work with people from say 6 p.m. in the evening over, over dinner right to three, 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when they were a little more, more challenging. Yeah. I got a huge amount of life skills and I still point to my time with Marriott as an 18 to 20 year old as, as some of the my big learnings in, in, in life working with some huge companies exhibiting and, and running events and, and it gave a, a real good grounding. A good grounding. Did you have any mentors then? Was there anyone that stood out and took you under their wing? And there were actually yes. The, uh, I was interviewed by a, um, a chap called uh, Julio Fosacheco. I can remember, I can remember him now, and I was I was really struck by his sort of charisma when he interviewed and yeah. and he he wanted to to really examine who I was as a a person without telling me what the job what the job needed. Yeah. And he ended up offering me a, a a different role to what was advertised. You could see that I wanted to work with. With people, I wanted to explore this um, this five star hotel and all the all the trappings of it. And he he set me set me on that. Um, and working with Marriott, they had a wonderful graduate management program. And I was introduced to people from all corners of the world who would be seconded to South Wales to work in this, who were from well, America, Australia, or, or, or Spain, for example. And that became really intriguing. Uh, one of the bar managers was from was an Australian guy who'd worked in Turkey and <laughs> listening to his tales of 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 traveling the globe had, had then firmly instilled a wanderlust in me as I, I knew that at some point uh, i would have to be part of the travel game wow so you how long did you stay married for then was it how many years did you stay at that position then where did uh, you move next i stayed for just over four years working for for the marriott chain okay yeah um, i did go to university uh, in in wolverhampton for, for three years studying sports science and event management which was absolutely wonderful they had a uh, a very successful rugby team, a great social circle, yeah, um, and uh, just a wonderful environment. At, at the time, we were living in somewhere that was voted the 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 worst town in in Britain for three or three years running, but that somehow gave it yeah. more of a 
more and more of a culture. We loved every minute of it, and we and we have a wonderful alumni. Yeah. Um, from 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 the time there, I did a uh, an Erasmus year, as they call it in in Lapland in Finland at the time. Wow. Studying Arctic studies. Wow. Now that Good I kid place. you not was was four months where we learned how to live off the fat of the land. So when the snows came, we we did our classes about foraging, working at what mushrooms you, you could eat to survive. We had to break ice holes and go fishing. We learned telemark skiing, snowboarding. We go on week long. Proper life skills. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah. And at that particular time, I'd settled on wanting to go in the uh, in the military. Uh, my aim was to go into the Marines because I felt that the Marines were the, the best representative uni- unit within the within the whole yeah. um, armed forces personnel with what they do in, in the water as much as on, on land. And I figured that with a good education, I wanted to just start off at officer level. So I, I focused myself for the pretty much a year solid of, of going in yeah. to do my officer training. But, but, but sadly, uh, an accident while snowboarding, which has resulted in a dislocated knee and some loose bone meant that I, I didn't make the... Um, I didn't pass the medical in order to get onto the course because of my my uh, my injuries, which actually turned out to be nothing at all. My my knee knee was fine, but yeah. I, uh, I was led in other directions um, after that. So after that, then obviously with the business, what was your first business that you kicked off? So you did the Marriott. You obviously didn't do the didn't make the Marines because of your injury. So did you go into another business? When did your business journey start? That was a, my last year at university in the summer that followed. That was a that was a really big sliding doors moment. I already knew that I didn't want to go back to South Wales. Yeah, I needed to be somewhere where there was op- there was opportunity and not in a in a in a small village. No disrespect to to my homeland. I love it. I love my family. Love love my friends that are there. But I needed to be somewhere uh, more vibrant. And I took a job working in America. All right. Okay. I was, um, I was coaching. I was coaching football Were you? <laughs> in, 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 the, in the Midwest, based out of Chicago, Milwaukee, uh, all around the Wisconsin and Illinois areas. We occasionally went into a few other states. And, and every week, we'd go to a different camp, coaching children um, and, and delivering our, 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 our British soccer skills to, to yeah. an American audience. That would, it, would, it was some of the, one, the best people I've ever worked with. I worked predominantly with five to eight-year-olds on some of the more more basic components of, of football and, and, and team play. And each week we'd rotate, travel up to three, four hours away to different different parts of the, of the Midwest uh, to go and do another camp. We'd stay with families du- during the week, yep. so it, it really put a lot of pressure on you to um, uh, to represent your country, also and, and and your family. Met some again some fantastic people there who I'm still in contact through the wonders of wonders of um, of social media, mostly yeah, yeah. mostly Facebook, and there was plenty of time to travel. So on the July Fourth weekend, we'd go for a long weekend party, and we travelled around the the East Coast, New York, down to Atlantic City, all whilst being paid rather well. Um, and I was offered a full time job, but at that particular point, I in my last year at university, I'd taken on the role of social secretary for our rugby team, right? Yeah, and I'd pretty much sacrificed my last last year. Had I not had taken that job. I would hope I'd have come out with the first class honours degree. Yeah, yeah. I ended up with a with a two one, which was still a, a a good result. But my focus there was taking forty very very good friends away to eat to the Czech Republic, Prague, which is which was then an up and coming destination via bus. Um, we fundraised so much money. We had parties all the time, um, and we generated this amazing team spirit. And we went away. We didn't play too well whilst we were away, but it. 
it, it just created a, just a wonderful alumni that we're still very, very, very tight with. So some of the themes here are that that, that work in that in that team that team environment. Yeah. Um, being responsible for other people's emotions, it quickly gave. It became a huge drug to me, um, and the, these endorphins were, were 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 parts of my DNA that I had to keep repeating. So I wanted to be doing a job where I was making people feel feel happy, yeah. and I therefore took a took the opportunity to to move to to Derbyshire after leaving leaving America because the company, best place on the earth, obviously. Well, I've been here twenty one years now, and. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm in my fifth decade. I'm I'm, I'm 41. I've lived in England there long, and I've lived lived in lived in Wales, which is a yeah. stat that doesn't please please <laughs> please everyone. Yeah, yes, proper Derby person now. Yeah, perhaps without the accent. Without the accent, I don't know if I've got an accent, but you know, maybe I have. You have to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, no, yeah. So in Derby, is that when you started the MG tours or MSG tours? Well, when I moved to Derby, I joined a company called Team Link. Team Link Sports Tours, who were who were in their second year of trading, who took us as a university team to the Czech Republic. I got okay. on very well with with the MD, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and he, he was the director with his father at the time, George and Danny. You know, great, a great family, wonderful, wonderful ethics, and we had great fun. And they they wanted somebody in dynamic who could bring them something different, and um, they offered me this very varied role of, I suppose, business development, sales. There were only three of us, so yeah. we, we kind of did everything. Yeah, 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 I wasn't a tea drinker at the time, so I wasn't involved in the hot drink rotor. <laughs> yeah. We we just mucked in, and, and they they gave me a lot of trust, a lot a lot of backing. I'll be forever indebted for for those guys to say we'll back you. Just go and do it. And within a couple of years, we'd worked on an idea that I had at university of which didn't happen at the time. Yeah, of, of taking university students overseas somewhere sunny, competing in a sports environment. And having fun, and within 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 two years, we'd gone from zero customers and just an idea being sketched around to um, the world's biggest university sports festival held. Wow! Within called, a year, within 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 a year, our, our first year we sold one thousand two hundred thirty-one places, wow. and the second year was just under two thousand five hundred. We we created something that nobody else had, yeah, uh, and nobody else wanted to do. Within a couple of years. The vulture had circled, and there were some competitor events, which yeah. put good pressure on us to 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 deliver that. But we became, you know, the out and out party party business. If you were an undergraduate and you wanted to have fun, then you would travel with Team Link Sports Tours yeah. to an event called Kalea Fest, which still sends shivers down many people's spines all these years on. Um, and it, it it was a really wonderful experience. The, I can remember how. For seven days, for £129, you could travel to Spain via bus, stay for four nights, have your breakfast and dinner included every day, be look, looked after, and, and somehow make it home in one piece. And that, that at the time, was a phenomenal offer, £129. Yeah, yeah. Pounds, uh, yeah. I mean, the euro, it was 146 to the pound then. Wow. And so you can see how time yeah, has it was good back then, changed yeah. since then. But we had a lot of pressure on us. Um, so, so you charged a, like a competitive price. Um, because I was, I was going to think, because for my listeners who obviously are in business, talking scale their businesses or build their businesses, the key that you grew so rapidly in that first year was it because of the it was so competitive on price? Was any what what did you have that allowed you to grow so quickly in that year? 
any undergrad students at the time who wanted to travel away together were, were almost being forced to pay double that to go on a, a personal trip somewhere yeah. without any, anybody else, only, only their own company. On their own. So, okay, yeah. yeah. They're by themselves. And there was a huge gap in the market. You know, we, we, we felt that the, a Woodstock come Glastonbury style event was, was needed, but the key had to be somewhere warm and, and sunny. Yeah, okay. So sunny, sunny Spain. Yeah, And yeah. Uh, this isn't a lesson really that we should really explain to any listeners about, about how to go through that, that process. But we made that decision because one of the directors knew somebody who owned a hotel in this resort. Okay, yeah. None of us have been to this resort even before we went on, we went on sale. So our research was based on, this guy's a great bloke and he's got 200 beds. And, yeah, yeah. And it kind of escalated, escalated from there. But having the fun element to it, if you're going to go to Spain, great. But that's not to say that the, the Spanish can host a party in the same way that we can. And we quickly decided in, in year two that in order to stay above the marketplace, we needed two or three USPs that, that people could not come near us with. So we flew out our own DJs from the time. We worked with a company in Nottingham that specialised in, yeah. in, in student nights. And we, we felt that if they're getting three, 4,000 people every week, we needed to have those guys there. Yeah. And they were quite open to that, as you could imagine. Of course, yeah. yeah. Easter holidays, the universities were, weren't, weren't, um, weren't in situ. Yeah. So they came to Spain. The outcome of that was that we actually needed our own security whilst, whilst there. Right. The Spanish door staff didn't quite understand um, <laughs> the, the sort of the mantra of people dressing up as Smurfs every night and, and yeah. going out in next to nothing, and they weren't as, as patient. So we sat down with the likes of owners and said, what about if we just rent your facility? You, you put the alcohol in, yep. we'll, we'll run the show, because actually that'll give us a better result, a safer environment, yep. uh, more, fun, more fun party party zone, and we'll double it ne next year. And, and so they understood our dilemma, um, were very understanding of that, and, and the growth was, was exponential. And it, it migrated to something that you don't see anymore. It's uh, the all-inclusive concept is, um, isn't what universities want to be associated with. But I went on a, on a bit of reconnaissance, a bit of a recce to Mexico to see how the, can the Americans did it on their, on yeah. their spring break with my, my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. She didn't quite know it was a work theme trip. She was, <laughs> she was happy with a couple of weeks in, yeah, of course. in, in Cancun. Um, and I went to the Senior Frogs nightclub in, in Cancun and surrounded by Americans there on their, on their, on their summer break at the time, not, not spring break. And with the simplicity of a, of a wristband, yeah, okay. being able to drink what they wanted, when they wanted, roam around nightclubs. We took that to, to Spain and, and after three or four months, they said, well, we'll give it a go. And it was a, it was a massive, massive success. And straight away, we had a theme and a product that, that nobody had the bravery to, to go near, um, the contacts to, to set that up or the, or the experience in, in making, making that work. Yeah. Uh, and in 2008, we were approached by Tui Travel PLC, um, who had just bought 20-odd um, um, other businesses in the UK market. They were shopping for, for companies that could give them a niche in all elements of, of travel. And our business had migrated to working with the armed forces. Yeah. So my, my missing out on the Marines had gone for full, full circle because I was now working with them on a week-by-week on a -week basis. Oh, these are tours again, you know, yeah. fun, fun element. Yeah, yeah. Rep representative, they would they would be travelling to various parts of the world, representing their their unit. Right. Okay. So the playing and the and the match was 
was as important as choosing the right hotel in, 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 in yeah, the right city. All the paperwork suggests that the focus on that trip was to have a great sporting sporting experience. Yeah. The school's business has started to, to pick up and we never forgot our grassroots and, and ran many experiences for for your weekend clubs run by volunteers. Uh, so, so de-risking, de-risking our business model was crucial in even in even in the early days to create a to create a, a brand with four distinct sub brands that, that took that risk away from your, your end of your your P and L. If one line wasn't working, we could shift a, a bit of balance onto another. So the so the profits were very 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 consistent and and predictable because travel is travel is a great business to work in. Yeah, it's very hard. And, and very complicated financially with all the rules because we effectively get our license from the government. But the wonderful thing about what we do is that people pay us 10 weeks before they travel. So we're, we're a cash rich industry. So you, so you can obviously then pay for the stuff rather than wait. But I think a couple of good lessons there, I think for my listeners. First one was the armband, the market research. I think a lot of business owners, and I've seen this, is once they get one kind of thing that works, they don't really go out and do market research. Just by doing that, You've got a great sort of a system that you implemented, which is great. And I do that in my businesses. I always market research. And I think it's really important to do that because if you don't involve as a business, um, or if you're not learning, you're just going to be left. And social media has proven that now. Our businesses go like Blockbuster. And um, no, I think I think that was a really good good shout. And second thing, you, had the, you de-risked your business model. Mm-hmm. I think one of the key things I've talked about, and many have heard my talks is, in the recession, when we were so focused on permanent recruitment and the recession came, we didn't have nothing else. So with my mentor who helped me, we went to contract recruitment. And luckily, we adapted quick enough. And that really then allowed us to grow faster because recession demanded contract rather than perm. So again, another good lesson. Um, I think it's important to de-risk your business. Oh, yeah, you know? 100%. There are nights now, even though the business is going really well, where I have to remind myself that there's... 13 people that, that rely on the leadership yep. of the of, of the company and in, in any any given day you know, we're making hundreds of decisions and all of those feed through so being able to make rational calls in a very emotive industry that is fast-paced is absolutely crucial to the, the the well-being of the business the welfare of the staff and and and, and the fu- and the future of our of our company. Yeah. And look, managing people, you know, we've I managed up to 500 contractors and people say, oh, that must be amazing. But you have the burden of the pressure because when you see them, you feed their families in a sense, you feel that responsibility of, of looking after them. And it's one of the most important things. I learned some lessons in recruitment, uh, but looking after staff as a, as a business owner is probably number one priority. Um, and um, Gary V talks about it. He's really big on social media because as your business gets bigger, you're just a HR function. Yeah. Just making sure everyone's happy because they ultimately run your business and your system. So you've got to like, what can I do for you rather than you do this? Uh, I think that's important. But yeah, and de-risking's uh, a good philosophy. So, I mean, from there, your company now, MSG. So are you still with the original company? You know, you did the school, um, the, the college tours and the company. Are you still part of that? partnership at the moment or no so we we sold the business in 2008 to to tui yeah and straight away my, my two partners they exited after after three months and i uh, i was a very excitable 
what am I, what, what it now? I was, uh, yeah, early, early 30s and I'm probably the right age for somebody to be in that PLC environment. Yeah. At the time, um, no children, so limited ties. It, it meant that I could I could work every hour that the PLC threw at me, and I, and I absolutely. So you stayed with it. them. You stayed within. I stayed. I had a two year earnout. Okay. Until two thousand and ten, so I knew that I had to had to be there for for twenty four months for all yeah. the all the financials to to kick in, which at the same time coincided with that word that you mentioned there, the the recession. So yeah. we sold the business, which is great, just before the recession started. Yeah. And then I was in this awkward environment where. Uh, a lot of my financial return over and above the selling of shares was based on the company performance of over two years. Right. And then the recession came. Dipped. Very quickly, within the first six, six months, I I knew then that my chances of, of reaching my financial optimum yeah. were pretty much obliterated by forces way outside my yeah. my control. But I love the I love the environment and I was working with the travel industries best crop of, of managers and directors and, and accountants and a lot, a lot of accountants which I learned a, a huge amount from. So I had to refocus myself on not being too upset about not hitting my, my OTE earnings or yeah. the bonuses but how could I then invest myself into a, a long-term career in a PLC that paid very well. So I started to play, play the long game and ended up working um, across two businesses so I retained Managing director status of the business that I sold, okay, albeit under new ownership. Yep. And I also then took up another business in London called Masterclass Sports Tours, and I divided my week of three days in Derbyshire, two days in um, the beautiful town of Kingston upon Thames in southwest London. So it put an extra challenge on life to yeah. become a lot more routinely organised. Uh, I trains to meet and another team to run. I couldn't let my team go in in, in Derbyshire. At the time, I was also doing a lot of triathlon and I was, I was doing Ironman competitions. Um, but then I progressed to being a, a family man, um, and my partner had a young young daughter at the time. So, I was all right, what else can <laughs> what else can we can we balance here? But I think the more that you that you sort of take on with all those pressures, and, and yeah. the more rigid you have to be in your decision making, your day to day life, and your Priorities. Even though a very good friend of mine, Simon, always tells me that as guys we can only do two things well at any particular time, <laughs> and you've got to work, and you and and you ha- and we all have family. So, yeah. So the sport tended to take a bit of a sideline as the as as business as as it has increased. But sadly, I was made redundant in twenty thir- in twenty thirteen in in the next size the PLC decided to move all their businesses to to London. But we, we all, I believe, in Derbyshire have a, a good standard of life. The, the property is reasonably cost-effective here. It's a beautiful area. And I wasn't really willing to sacrifice that. Yeah, to move. To, to, to move the family. It's got to be bad. It's choices, isn't it? It's like you can move elsewhere where it's the economy's stronger, but the lifestyle's not. So Exactly that. And did I want to leave a suburban house in Alastria in Derby to yeah. go and live in a, a, a two-bed flat in, in, in Kingston that would have cost me twice as much? So... It was a natural, as tempting as it was to really try and climb that PLC ladder. I took, took redundancy. We had a child that was uh, a little boy who was now, who was now five who was due the following year. Um, I settled. I set up with a, a local travel agency here and built a sports division for them over over, over eighteen months. Yeah, uh, and that was a um, and that was a really interesting period in 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 my life and one which I look back on and think. 
I didn't represent myself brilliantly at that, that, that particular time. I was working for a wonderful family, family company mm -hmm. who uh, I still have great friendships with, but I was pushing the boundaries too hard. I was a, a manager and nothing more. I knew that I would, wouldn't be able to get any higher. And I was trying to be the personality that I am, which is, I like to think is a positive entrepreneur and yep. bringing new products to life, making experiences fresh for new people, driving new new relationships, but it was a, a pace that, that the business didn't want or were ready ready to do. Yes. So I was cutting a few corners and it was causing some problems. I was thinking by cutting corners, nobody would notice because um, I just wanted to get the next best thing. Yeah. And in the end, um, just like that, I was um, I was put on gardening leave. In, because you you pushing the boundaries, or well, because really, sort of my my behaviour was uh, was unsettling for that for that for that business. Yeah. At the at, at the time, uh, I was a little bit defensive, thinking, well, all I want to do is actually make you guys more more money. But it wasn't part of their plan, and it yes. was it was their it was their business, and um, yeah, I things happen for 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 a reason. But I do look back on that moment and think I could have represented myself better. But all yeah. of a sudden, from four o'clock on a Thursday to typing away uh, to a late night meeting at seven eight p.m., I was um, I was uh, jobless with yeah. a couple of months of, of gardening leave to to uh, to work on. And, and in my personal life, there was some some problems. I'd separated from my my partner. We're, we're still separated to to this day. So I'd moved out of the of the family house and was living with some some friends at the uh, at the time so there was a, an awful lot sort of building up personally which probably contributed to some of my to my frame of mind at, at, at the time and um, yeah the, that explosion happened and, and in October 20, 2015 I had to really take stock of a of a reality where I didn't have a job um, I'd been Sacked effectively yeah. in in a, in, a, in a nice way. I was separated, and that wasn't showing any signs of, of reconciling. We had a young six-month-old at the time, with no money, no money coming in. Uh, so I made a very quick call that I would use the skills that I've, that I've gathered to try a different industry. And we're in the Midlands. Yeah, Birmingham is thirty minutes away. Nottingham's around the corner. There must be a plethora of companies that I can turn, turn my hand to. So I sent off, I got back into business mode, sent off all my applications, calls brewery, different marketing agencies. And within, within a week, I'm, I, I couldn't even hazard a guess as to how many applications. I didn't get one interview. Um, and when I did do the follow-up calls, it was that I didn't have the, the experience. I'm thinking, goodness me, I've... No, I'm, I'm at a reasonable age here. I'm sort of yeah. mid, mid to late 30s at the time. Good, a good CV as well, you know. Yeah, good CV, lots of people, people management, uh, a lot of a lot of accounting experience, you know, sales, marketing, product development, operations, commercial. But I just wasn't the person that they were looking for. You know, these industries were, were looking. And you take stock and think, crikey, we're in, we're in the Midlands of, of the UK here, which is fueled by engineering, really. If you're not brewing or engineering, to do with with trains, making yeah. making engines. Yeah, maybe this isn't the right space. And um, I I got a, a piece of paper and and a pencil in my friend's kitchen. Two very close friends who had put me up in that in that difficult time. And I started to write some numbers down. But who were my top five or six customers that 
if I wanted to set up again and do this myself, who would I turn to and what are they worth? As in what kind of revenues would they bring and, and when would that revenue materialize? So in real terms, what would that sports team look like? How many people would go away? Where did they want to go? And what cost would be associated with that? So, and I started to draw up a, a business plan. Yeah. And within a very short period of time, I looked down at this A4 piece of paper and realized that there was over £700,000 worth of revenue that would probably materialize should I have a business and an operating license. Within travel, we have to go to the government and the government takes us through a very rigorous financial process to, to allow you to have a license. If I could achieve that, yep. those two things, then I didn't need any CapEx whatsoever. I didn't have any money anyway. Yeah, I, I didn't have a bean whatsoever. Every penny was paying the mortgage. Uh, I was living with some friends for not a lot of money every every week that just about covered, covered the bills. So I knew that if I wanted some money, there were no savings there. I'd have to yeah. go cap in hand to the to the banks. Uh, but this business model didn't didn't need any investment. I wouldn't have to give away any any equity in, just to get some some. Was cash. it cost the license? Or was that? You have to pay for the license to, to, for the government, or there, there were license fees. Had I been successful, oh okay, okay, yeah, uh, reasonably modest, yeah, um, in the in, in the grand scheme of things. But first of all, I had to be a trading company and have and have clients and, and a robust business plan. Okay, and at that particular time, I wanted to keep my brain warm at the time. As great as it was riding my bike all day in the Peak District and keeping keeping fit, you can't let this go yeah. go rusty. So. A, a, very very good pal of mine who runs a, uh, a wonderful business in Derby called Hoob. Um, his name's D Dean Jackson. Had kindly let me sit on, sit on his sofa in his office while his business was in his infancy, and and help out here and there. And he chucked me a few quid yeah. for, for some bits and pieces. But I did a bit of social media for them. I'd look at their products. The fact that they sold triathlon gear and I was doing triathlon yeah. meant it was quite a nice place to work every day. The coffee was really always really 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 good there. And one day I said to Dean, give me, give me three people that, that you would recommend I talk to locally that can really give me a kickstart on this. And he gave me, he gave me three names. One was uh, David Nelson, who's uh, an, an accountant, um, sim similar age, uh, very robust in, in what he does and, and a great local network. Uh, representative from Santander, a, a bank that would, that would give us a great start. And a lady called um, Maria Peggs, who is wonderful to help small businesses with, with funding. So why don't you start with those three? Well, Santander gave me the time. Couldn't help me because I didn't have a million pounds on, uh, on my forecast straight right, away. Okay. Wasn't far off, but they, they could see there was some mileage there. Come back, come back next year and we'll have a chat. I'm still working with David now and, and he's very important to, to give me the guidance that I need on a quarterly basis to set me square and, yeah. and give me some advice and um, tell, me, tell me to be brave because that's, that's what you need to hear from people who are far smarter than you who know their numbers are a lot better if there's yeah. a problem he he tells me if there's not tells me to be brave and, and and go for it and maria wonderfully set me up with some funding streams that helped bring new staff in and and rather bizarrely through a chance conversation describing my perfect member of staff she said well my daughter would fit that role <laughs> and, her, and her daughter who was netballer yeah. came up from london relocated back to derbyshire and worked for for, for a couple of years so there's some uh, taking local advice, never being afraid to say to others who have had 
a tough journey, but have made it. You know, ask them for the, the two or three things. Yeah. If you've gone through a really tough time in business, in life, you remember the people that really yeah. give you that sage advice that can separate the wheat from the chaff and, and, and tell you what what they believe is right right for you. And that was that was wonderful, wonderful yeah. advice. And that's a great point because I think one of my podcasts always asks the questions, one of the most downloaded ones, and it's quite simple. You know, just ask the question. People will help you. And the podcast is obviously free on iTunes and you can download it. It's because the information's there now. So if you are going through a tough time, ask around. Most people don't ask. If you don't ask, you're not going to get, are you? And there's many people that want to help. That's a, it's a good shout, yeah. It was really, really humbling. And, and at that particular point, October became no, November. I started ta- chatting to some colleagues about would you want to be part of something like this? And we'd started to form a, uh, a, very, a very small niche team. And I, and I took up an offer for, for a very close friend of mine, Paul Hill, who's, who's now a director, a non-exec director of our, our business, who at the time did what great friends do and gave me his time. Yeah. His day job is a director for a company in Leeds called First 10. Right, okay. They, they specialize in working with great big brands and really important people within the brands and realigning strategy, making sure that these companies are delivering on their vision and, and promise. And, and Paul is someone who's wonderfully articulate and is, is able to deliver strong and detailed messages in a way that has you hanging on on every word. And Paul comes yeah. in regularly and talks to the team and I'd love sitting back and watching to see how he sort of retells the complicated tales of business in a way that is really, really simple. Like the All Blacks rugby team, why are they so good? Well, they do the or everything perfectly. And yeah. if you do everything perfectly in business, in sport, then the tough bits will come, will come, all, yeah. will come yeah. organically. And, and Paul sat us down at the time, there were three of us, and ran a couple of workshops. And he understood that we had some customers waiting to spend money with us on trips and experiences that they had already decided that they wanted. For example, somebody wanted to go to New Zealand and Australia. Somebody wanted to go to... Georgia, somebody wanted to go to South Africa. So I couldn't influence what they wanted to do, but I could give them a guarantee that they could spend their money with with a business that actually really, really cared about the experience. And we call it, sorry, it's not we, it's a, it's a term known within the school's enterprises learning outside outside the classroom. We've all been on school trips in our in our lives, whether it's a day trip out or, or a weekend away, I've been very fortunate to go on two or three rugby tours with with my schools and, and met some wonderful people. And I can recall vividly those relationships and, and those memories, and they help shape character. So we started off with a with a new company with a, with a, with a new vision, and and that was to give every child the chance to experience the world and, and learn outside the classroom, in in the most coolest and communicative way. Uh, and we wanted to, to really disrupt the, the marketplace by having a style and charisma that um, was very relaxed and, and challenged the way that we'd previously communicated. Now that involved us changing our character, changing our personality and changing the way that we did business. And that's not, not easy when you've been doing that for 15, yeah. 16 years at the time is to, is to come at it with a different coat on or, or a different colour. But as Paul explained, that once we write these mantras on the wall and the vision for this business, 
the gents, you've got one chance. And this was in November and December 2015. And I, again, looked at the slides before I came here today just to refresh <laughs> of what we, what we agreed. And, and we're still doing that. You know, we are still providing really unique experiences that we call as a business yeah. delivering the, the unexpected. You know, we're, we're challenging perception within, within the marketplace. Why does the same school go to the same place every year? The answer is, more often than not, because that's what their predecessor did. But really, if you're a teacher and you were giving us the opportunity to talk about how you're going to give your time, your precious time, your family time, on a school holiday where you're not getting paid any extra, what actually is the best way that you can motivate and influence these students' lives forever? Let's talk about what you think is yeah. the best place in the world to go. And we will work with you on making making that that happen. So again, it's called delivering delivering the the, the, the unexpected, and, and that is in that is ingrained in the core of all of our staff. We run regular workshops, we run regular training. When you look around our office, it's on the wall with examples on our system. And when you break it down into its simplest form, it's you know it's being really nice to people, giving them an experience they. They didn't, they, they didn't expect, and putting in the little touches through through the whole process. The, sort of, the time where they travel is what they pay for. Yeah. It could be three days, it could be a week, it could be a month. We've just had two customers come back from Japan for the Rugby World Cup, have been away for six and a half weeks with us. But that journey can often start two years before when they make the decision to talk to us. We're responsible for that emotional journey, the preparation, than hand-holding, you know, the guidance, or the pastoral, the going into the school, and as a parent, sitting down with other parents and looking them in the eye and guaranteeing that they're gonna have the safest, um, most eloquent and memorable experience because our staff are trained yeah. to do things better, better, better. So we have an expression that's called, what else, what else, what else? When you look at an itinerary or a piece of work, that you think you're happy with, then let's take a step back, ask a colleague, what else can we do here? Let's really sort of get under the skin of that. And the tiniest 1%, and the tiniest level of level of detail, which could be, in example terms, we work in travel, the giving teachers their own single room. Yeah. So they have a, the best night's sleep possible so they can do their job the next day whilst being in Costa Rica or in, in, in Cornwall. It could be, giving um, that member of staff a little bit of extra Wi-Fi whilst they're away or uh, an extra phone. So if they want to ring home to talk to the family, then they can they, they can do that. So it's caring. It's, it's really... Yeah, it's actually caring about your customer. And I think that's sometimes people forget that. Actually care. And we had an incident where in the recruitment industry where it's quite tough, really tough, we made a decision just like yourself, disrupt it by picking up the phone at nine o'clock at night, having a, an on-call system. Because a client, they work 365, Land River Jaguar, they needed someone to call. Most corporates shut down at 5.30. Mm -hmm. But we said, okay, what can we do different? Well, well let's have an on-call system. So they'd ring us because we'd be one of only a few that pick up the phone. Because mm. we cared because the manager who gave us the business, if his shift didn't go very well or if one of the senior managers didn't turn up, it's going to affect him. And I cared for him. Mm. Uh, but most people don't see that. It looks like in your business, you've really care about the little 1%, you know, it's really important. Well, Tom, who, who, 
who worked with us for for a while he it was his idea to tell our teachers predominantly that you know we're here for you when you've got time the teaching in the daytime so they can't yeah. possibly talk to us in between lessons yeah if, when's the best time to catch a teacher at a lesson we knock on the door miss can i have a word or sir can i have, have a yeah. word so they get home they've got families they have time in the evening so by making taking the business away from from a telephonic environment to a whatsapp driven conversation actually gives us now time where people are as happy to have chats in the evening whether the teacher is 40 or 50 years old it's now our our primary communication tool yeah. to the teachers little voice memos yeah uh, i like them yeah. here and there we set up whatsapp groups before any of our trips go during and after to ensure that communicate that we over communicate there's never an excuse in 2019 for for failing to to communicate in any way yeah. all of our platforms are, are available but it still keeps coming down to the simplicity of, of whatsapp and the, and the wonderful ability to use the groups tool on on your cell phone to to, to get the right messages across but also to recording recording video so with our safety aspects, if we're away on a recce, looking at a particular country or a particular city or a particular hotel, the slightest thing of filming that experience in a hotel, you know, showing where the fire exits are, yeah, you know, where all the fire hydrants are, and what breakfast looks like, or when you walk into this hotel, this is my thumb, that's the camera by the way, filming yeah, yeah. as we go along, you know, filming what that experience is like, and then sending it, sending it through. In Japan last year, I, I did a time lapse video for. A, for a customer who wanted to travel to Miyajima Island near near Hiroshima, so we started at the front door in a time lapse. You got these steps onto the right platform, and it was sped through to you know, about one minute and 30, thirty seconds. But it enabled them to watch that and complete their risk assessment yeah. on their laptop in in real time yeah. by seeing what we'd created just just for them. So all, all this is going above and um, going above and beyond and. And creating the right experience for for the decision maker. So more often than not, we'll work with one person who researches the market for what they want, presents that through to head teachers or, or, or governors to make the decision. But by doing that, he or she signals that they've they've done their approvals, and this is who I think is right for yeah. for, for our, our school. Um, but another thing that we started in the in the early days, we wanted to be a little, little bit, little bit quirky as well. And unashamedly, we're we're all huge, huge coffee, coffee lovers, <laughs> and we and we've always experienced by by going into schools, especially the state schools, not so much the independent schools. Coffee's terrible. <laughs> you, you sat down with a teacher, and and they're they're shoveling some. It's not even Nescafe, and and you're having to force uh, force <laughs> yourself to finish this this cup. Uh, so we played around with that, and, and now we, do, we, we work with different roasteries to produce our own coffee. Oh, wow. And we ask our schools, you, you set the meeting, we'll, we'll, we'll bring the coffee. We'll bring the coffee. So every, every six months, we, 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 we change our, our blend, and we work with ethically sourced coffee from all different parts of the world that, that align to our, our, our values. Um, and we produce five, five or 600 bags of this coffee uh, and send it to our subscriptions, who are our... Oh, so they're, they're subscription models. They buy the coffee from you. No, they don't buy anything you at just all. Give it. It's, it's the, yeah, it's we part of the package thing. It's, yeah, we we value you. All oh, right, okay, yeah. We want to make your decisions as smart as possible today. So let's yeah. let's let's get sharp. What's in the are. coffee? 
yeah. the, the buying tool, yeah. I've, I've, but I've you gonna show us the coffee you bought with us? Yeah, a few, a few just a few, <clears throat> a few examples. That this is our, here's our latest one with a company called Tiki Tonga. All right, okay. Uh, Got strong. This is very, very, very strong capsule, capsule coffee. Yeah. And the story is very linked to our, our sports side of the business. Now the, the owner here is a chap called Brad Barrett, who is currently the captain of Saracens Rugby Club, okay. ex-England yeah, player, yeah. who was looking for life after, life after sport. And in his twilight years of rugby, he now runs a very successful coffee company that supports a few local charities, one being the Matt Hampson Trust here. And... Um, not only is it great coffee, but it's got a great story, and we're also helping a, a sportsman sort of kick on yeah. to um, to yeah to start his his new professional career. And on the table here, um, seeing the world is, is is part of our job. Yeah, we're yeah. Working closely with the country called Iswatini, which is formerly known as Swaziland, the landlocked country inside South Africa. We're doing some charity work there with a a, a, a company called Scrum, who are working hard to really raise the awareness of AIDS. It's the highest concentration of AIDS within within the world. And as part of that, they're, they're partners with a coffee company. So every bag that gets sold spills out some money into the into the program. Okay. So it's it's a country that we're operating in, yep. that, that we support. And this pound for pound is from the best coffee that we've ever we've ever ever produced. Okay. So we, so we, we, we co-brand it and send it out to our our customers. And and very excitedly we're we're taking a a couple of school teachers to a new roastery in in um, in Cheshire in a couple of weeks. Oh, where okay, yeah. Some teachers are actually going to help us pick the the beans for our for our winter twenty twenty winter twenty nineteen range as well. Good, fascinating stories. I mean, we could probably talk all day about your stories, and I think it's important for people to realise that you know you where you started, where you are now. What what's the plans going forward at the moment with um, the company growth plans? Really, really exciting. Thanks to the the backing of, of, of David, my 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 accountant, who yep. who always gives us a a grilling on our on our financials. We're going through an acquisition yep. to buy a buy a competitor, which we'd never before seen a, a year ago. It's a, it's a really unique opportunity for a, a brand that's got very very similar similar values. And thankfully, we're in a cash rich position with our customers paying in advance to allow yep. us to do that without releasing any equity from. From the company, our office has just opened up in South Wales, and we're looking to complete that team. We've had three or four members of staff there, whilst nice. growing the the company in um, in Biarritz as well. So to, have, to have three distinct offices, we're investing in a small operation in South Africa as well. That's going to help us to deliver around about a thousand passengers in 2021 for the British Lions Rugby Tour across South Africa and. And it is with is with Tini. and uh, there are some other plans as well that are still in their in their fetal stages that would be remiss of me to go too too deep. But we're we're really we're really encouraged by by a couple of things. You touched on KPIs. Yes. Uh, yeah. We don't make emotive decisions in, in our, our company. Everything is fueled by the you know, the qualitative and quantitative information that we get from our, our reporting channels. We have a, a net promoter score, or, or NPS as it's abbreviated, which is a simple measurement that, that people give post-experience to decide whether they are going to travel with you again or spend money with you again or recommend you. It's where you have the typical survey online, you have to mark it out, out of 10. Yeah. And if, you're, if you get nines and tens, then that's a really positive experience and, and they're promoters. 
in travel, the average is 45 or 45%. Right. Apple are the biggest commercial business with an 84% NPS score. At the time of talking, our average NPS since inception is over 80. Wow. So we're almost double the average, which says that our staff are doing a wonderful job yeah. in, in really caring. Um, last night I was out for dinner with, with two brilliant members of my team, two managers, Lucy and Grace, who've just turned two, two years with us. Right, nice. um, and we're very much looking forward to the next dinner in, in 12 months' time. I've got, I've got Liam, who's um, been with us you know, three years in, in, in January. And we do not want to let any, any staff go because that's rich experience. They're involved yes. in, the, in culture. So we're providing the best environment possible for, for our teams. We provide breakfast and lunch for the staff every every day, flexibility to work from home if, if need be, and trying to create that you know, the perfect working environment that gives gives our team the the ability to, to live the most comfortable uh, lifestyles. So the, the the customers who are coming back continually mean that our typical marketing budgets are actually invested in looking after our customers than spending money on getting new cu- new customers. Yeah, yeah. We're always delivering the unexpected continually to our customer base. But the bar's now been set very yeah, high. Yeah, you've got to and keep... people are returning back for their fourth or fifth trip and challenging us, oh, what, what next? And What's it next? really gets you... Well, it keeps you on your toes anyway. You know, that's evolving the business. It I think does. it's important to that. So, you know, exciting plans. I'm sure we're going to get you on again to, to, to see how you progress. So for my listeners, I always ask, what is the best business advice that you've received? <laughs> Surround yourself with with people who are who are infinitely smarter than you. Yeah. Who have got who are outliers in the skill sets that are your weaknesses. We are not the complete in, individuals. Most business leaders are very imaginative, very very creative, and very very driven. It can't be expected that your staff have the same qualities. They're only driven if if they're invested in, in into the into the business. Surround yourself with managers and go-to who, who can really strengthen up your weaknesses and can give you a robust operating platform. And always go by always go by numbers. Feel is important at, at the right time, but any business decision should be based on what you can see in front of you. Yeah. It's been provided by the people that you employ to keep you keep you focused. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. They never do. You know, you can feel whatever you want, but numbers eventually will, will take over. And what's the best advice you've given? Best advice that I've ever given someone anyway. Oof, oof. Well, you've not, you've not given me any notice of, uh, <laughs> of, of that one. Uh, okay, best advice I've given, just off the cuff. Yeah. I've worked with a really, really, really proactive teacher from Southwest London on a number of school, school projects. And he decided... A year ago that he wanted to make a big family sacrifice give up the teaching and focus on the sport that he loves and work on that sport within his community and build a business i've seen this person in confident teacher mode and i've seen him in nervous business mode because yes. he's not a businessman yeah he doesn't know business as much as his, his sport but he knows his product and he's got a wonderful reputation so the best advice I gave this guy over a series of time is is never apologize for being obsessed in, in in what you do. Don't worry if it's 11 p.m. at night time and you're still doing that business plan. If others are sleeping, that's the path that they that they they've yeah. chosen. 
the early years are always the toughest, but absolutely believe in yourself. Um, and a, a book that I, um, uh, Business for Punks, it's the, the brew dog story. So I'm, I'm a craft beer fan. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, Many of a very non-alcoholic is is really nice. You know, I've been I've been the brew dog. Is it non-alcoholic? What color is that? Is that the green? Oh, I think it's it blue or green. Non-alcoholic one. It's definitely definitely not the blue one. No. Maybe green. I don't know. I just like the non-alcoholic because yeah. we went, we went for dinner and um, I was driving and the guy said try it and it was really good. I was really impressed by it. Have yeah. you read the, Have you read the book? I've not read the book. No, no. I'll check it out. In in a nutshell they believed that they had the the game changing beer for the for the future yeah. the the fruitiness the the different craft and one's a lawyer one's a master craftsman it it took a um a break by a well renowned beer taster to say you've got something here back yourself so they had that authority to say yeah. go 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 and do it and this is their their story of being relentless and saying our beer needs to be at the forefront of the marketplace because it is the best it takes yeah. the best and nothing's going to get in our way so they've got this amazing plan uh, which they've taken over to the states they've 100% crowdfunded their 100 their america operation they got balls yeah and, yeah. and they back themselves they've got the belief haven't they they have they got the belief the confidence and and these guys know their stuff so in the same way we are guided my colleagues that you are one of the best coaches out there you've got a business brain you're a great family man you've got wonderful values Nobody is going to stop that. Um, so I gave him a copy of the book, and and I think he did it in a better day or so. And, That's uh, good. Yeah, which reminds me, I need to check in on him. So you check if he's all right still. And, and it feels um, it, it feels really good to help. Yeah. Help other other yeah. people. If somebody can learn a couple of things from the mistakes as much as the successes, then. That's yeah. a great, that's a great feeling. Uh, yeah, and 100%. And, you know, sometimes the podcast, it takes a lot of time creating it. And obviously we pull it out to a free platform, but it's just the messages that I get saying we've changed something, changed direction, this change, or we listen to this interview and it sparks something. Because there'll be people in business who are going through times when me and you were stuck in the recession or that point where you made redundant and something that can help them is so valuable. And I remember that going forward. And I think it's important that we hear real business stories and that's why I want to do this series because there's so many business people like yourself that are out there. I've got an amazing story and the more we hear about them, the more people can get inspired to, to, to continue because it is tough. Mm. Business is hard. It's not easy. But if you keep persisting, you will get there. Absolutely. I want to thank you for coming. Before we um, close into you, where can people find you? Uh, msgtours.com. That's the principal website. At MSG Tours is our, our common handle on all the all the social channels, and I'd love to connect to as many people as possible on on LinkedIn. Or the my inbox is is always open. I'll I'll try and help anyone with it with any queries. Can retell any anything from here. Two or three people gave me a real big a big startup yeah. in, in this, and I feel indebted that I've got to try and help others uh, like I am doing with my colleague in London with his sports venture so yeah it's been a real pleasure Good. thanks for your time and this will go on youtube so what's the coolest place you've been now you've traveled loads and we have these conversations <laughs> and a bit jealous sometimes when you're traveling but what's the coolest place or the best place or the most inspiring spa space you've um been? i hate this question because I, I feel like i'm letting down many people in the world who've been so good to us all, over the years <laughs> um the coldest place. I'll start. I'll change that. That uh, yeah, yeah. slightly. I used to live in Lapland, and it got to minus thirty-eight. So wow, that was the wow, coldest, wow, wow. but also the coolest. In that, that was a, yeah. a real eye-opener. Especially on our first night, aged twenty, when we were um, buying a beer for at six pounds at times. So that was 
I don't think I could ever live live in Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah. I love um, my passion is is America from living there. I love the American people. I love the South, the deep South in America. You know, the Louisiana, the, the Alabamas, the uh, you know, cities like New Orleans, you know, Nashville, yeah. anywhere in in Texas. I just feel they're some of the most honest people in in the world. From a personal traveling perspective, I really enjoyed um, Argentina. The Fijians are just the kindest um, and most romantic people ever, but without a shadow of a doubt, and I've been lucky enough to go there five times over the last couple of years with work, is that Japan is somewhere where everybody listening here today, everyone has to go to Japan. If you've got children who are age 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 above, and you're looking for somewhere different on summer holiday, take them to Japan and see how that country, or Tokyo alone, deals with 42 million people swilling around its its ecosystem every, every day. Yeah, you learn a lot about great manners, re- respect, how you can you know, cohabit in such a, a a busy place, but also some of the most strikingly beautiful and helpful people on this planet, bar uh, bar none. So Japan for me is the the go-to place for. 2020 and beyond cool if you're watching on youtube comment below what's your best place you've been and uh yeah check out japan i, I want to go to japan one of my mentees just came back from japan and he goes it was amazing the trains are efficient mm-hmm. everything's efficient so i want to thank you Mark, for coming on the podcast mm-hmm. really appreciate it and uh, look forward to you know how you progress with your business and everything really well and see that continued growth and would you be uh, honored to Try our new coffee when it comes of out. Of course, I, I, need, I will try the new the coffee. <laughs> I, I, we will all try the coffee. We'll all try the coffee. We'll give it to you. Thank you.